Super Talk Mississippi media production. In the Mississippi Legislature, House Bill 728 funds health care for illegal immigrants. Call your legislator today at 601-359-3770. Ask them to stop House Bill 728. It's not too late. You can help stop this. Paid for by Building America's Future. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You are tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. We've got Rhino in studio today. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from your Super Talk Mississippi app. Don't forget, too, you can listen on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. But head on over on your computer or your mobile device to supertalktv.com. You can see good things live and in living color. And today we're going to kick off with a new opportunity for those that may be fighting substance abuse. They've now got a new opportunity to get help that they need. Joining us is Dr. Jefferson Parker. He's professor and division director of psychology in UMMC's Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior. He's also co-directing the CIDA, which we'll learn more about today. So, hey, Dr. Parker. Hi there. I am so excited about this opportunity this opportunity, and the grant money that UMMC has received. So let's just start there. Tell us about the grant and how UMC uh, was awarded it. Sure, I'd be glad to. We're we're so excited too. So this this grant came from a congressional appropriation in the last year's federal budget, 2022 federal budget, um, and uh, it's come to UMC through the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA, as we usually call it. And uh, we have four major goals as part of this project. Um, and uh, if you'd like, I can go through them oh, yeah. one by one. Um, um, two of them involve direct um, patient care, help for people who have uh, substance use disorders, and two of them are more sort of substance use infrastructure type uh, projects. So um, the the first one I'll mention is called Telemat, T-E-L-E-M-A-T. Telemat provides medication-assisted treatment for individuals with opioid use disorder or alcohol use disorder via telehealth. So our intent is to is to um, provide this kind of treatment. Um, it's available around uh, anywhere in Mississippi. Um, and we have um, money in the grant to, especially for people who don't have any kind of insurance, which there are a lot of people in that category, who don't have insurance for medications or physician visits or or so on. So the grant is providing um, a physician and nurse practitioner to actually do the appointments and a psychologist um, in addition to support for the medication. Um, and even beyond that, we, we have uh, money in the grant to provide treatment scholarships for those individuals who need residential substance abuse treatment and, uh, and even some money to help with transportation if someone needs to get from their home to, say, a residential treatment 
Center. So this is called Telemat. We've done this before through the Department of Mental Health. At that time, it was re- it was restricted to the regional mental health centers, but this is open throughout the entire um and Dr. Dr. Parker, I mean, Mississippi yes. has led the way with telemedicine throughout the last decade or so. We really, you know, utilized it during the pandemic and it sort of opened all of those doors. Do you think that that is kind of what helped give the give way for now recovery treatment to be able to be looked at as done through telemedicine? Because usually traditional thinking would be, you know, you would need to come to, you know, it would be an inpatient kind of scenario or you would need to meet in person for your types of therapy but it feels like you'll be able to reach more people this way. Yes, absolutely. I think the the fact that um, Mississippi has led the way with telehealth, um, the UMC Center for Telehealth has been very um, forward-thinking in that that area, yes. And the the pandemic sort of made um, uh, sort of virtue out of necessity. We gained a huge amount of experience, and all of a sudden we went from sort of a more traditional mode to uh, doing uh, exclusively telehealth. And um, it's not the right approach in every single circumstance, but it has a lot of advantages, um, um, you know, in, in terms of saving travel time and travel expense and access for people who who um, um, would have to take off from work to travel right. a few hours to get to a treatment center. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think we're very well placed because of our, our experience in, in doing telehealth. And I would say it definitely doesn't hurt to try, right, when you look at some of the statistics that's, you know, hanging over Mississippi uh, in terms of addiction or substance abuse. It's like, let's let's throw it all at the wall and see what can stick in terms of helping these individuals and their families. So, Dr. Parker, how are you going to be able to identify which families may be fit to utilize either the telehealth or the help with getting in-person treatment uh, through this grant? Right. So um, our process is going to be, uh, first of all, we'll take referrals, self-referrals or referrals from family members or referrals from um, uh, medical professionals, mental health professionals, really from anyone. And we've, we've started to receive those um, already. And the, the first step will be to make an appointment with our psychologist who'll do a standardized assessment that's used by uh, SAMHSA. And then uh, the next appointment will be with one of our medical providers um, if, if at that point um, medication-assisted treatment seems like it might be worth considering. So we have a couple of emergency room physicians who are boarded in addiction medicine who are on board and have appointments available. And um, we're in the process of recruiting for a nurse practitioner also to, to do that. Well, it seems very hopeful. You mentioned the other uh, leg to this or the other two legs to this sort of looked more at systemic change or how we can sort of set, set the stage for that. So where does it help in those aspects? Sure. The, um, so the telemed is ready to go right now. We're, we're working on referrals even as we speak. Um, a second part of this um, is uh, we're, that we're actively working on is going to involve providing um, consultation to community emergency departments during outside of business hours, basically nighttime, weekend hours. And um, this um, part of the project is not going to provide treatment, but is going to provide sort of information and advice and motivational interventions to help steer people 
toward appropriate level of um, treatment or help for their whatever substance abuse issue brought them to the emergency department in the first place. Or maybe they came due in an accident, but but they're intoxicated. Or maybe they came in for an overdose or something like that. So we will have both um, a nurse practitioner available on call during these hours to, to field these calls and also uh, peer support specialists. The peer support specialists are individuals who have lived experience with addictions or mental health uh, concerns who can talk on a on the one-to-one personal level in a way that people who are maybe come to this work through academic training can't really do. So we're going to have both of them available on call, and uh, we'll be rolling that out. So that's the second. The third, which is uh, immensely exciting as well, there are directories uh, available that list substance abuse treatment providers and programs around the state. What uh, we're going to roll out is a web-based resource that it doesn't duplicate that, but it builds on it because what it will do, you'll be able to go to this web page and see not only what programs exist, but their current status about whether they have a bed available today or not. So you might look at Program A, and it will say Program A doesn't have any beds right now. You look at Program B, oh, they have one bed. Program C, they got two beds. So that can help you decide um, where to, how to use your time in terms of um, making an efficient self-referral or family referral or professional referral. That's called Find Help Now. That that program is uh, already in full operation in Kentucky. They've been using it, and um, we're going to be uh, developing that and rolling that out here. So that's the third. And then the last one, CETA, the, the um, Center for Innovation, Discovery, and Addictions, has a component, educational component called the Academy of Addiction Training. And we're going to be sponsoring in collaboration with community partners um, at least three different uh, events, training or educational events over the course of the year. One of them is going to be geared toward medical professionals. A second one is going to be tailored toward individuals who are working as treatment staff in substance abuse treatment programs around the state, for example, uh, certified uh, addictions counselors. And then the third one is going to be um, directed toward and tailored toward um, consumers and family members and friends of people who have substance use disorder. So that's the fourth component. We're actively working on planning that and forming partnerships now. There's so much good in this, Dr. Parker. It's super exciting. I know it's a statewide approach. There'll also be a lot of research that goes along with it. If people want more information about any of it, where do they go to go ahead and see what you've got or go ahead and start utilizing the programs that are up and running? Yes. So I'm going to give you um, both a telephone number and an email address. All right. Um, so our project um, director is Aaron, E-R-I-N, Shirley Ore, um, and this is her office telephone number. It's 601-815-9110, 601-815-9110, Aaron, E-R-I-N. And then we have an email address, and the email address is telemat, T-E-L-E-M-A-T, at umc.edu. All right. Good stuff, Dr. Parker. Thank you for your time. Stick with us. We got more. Making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. 
things when you're on your computer or your mobile device. You can watch it on Roku, even Amazon Fire TV devices. You can watch good things on C Spire TV if you've got that. We're on channel 70 right next to the Weather Channel, which just says it's sad outside. That's all it says. Sad weather. Gloomy, not real rainy, kind of misty, getting colder. It feels like it's dark 30 all day, which is just a little gloomy. That's okay. That's just part of this time of year. We'll have bright and sunshiny days coming up soon. Hopefully we'll have good weather coming up on Friday because middays with Gerard Gibbert and myself with good things. And even the Super Talk Eagle Hour, we're all going to be in Columbia on Friday for the annual Columbia Christmas Festival. Preparations are underway to kick off the spectacular festival and Super Talk Mississippi will be in downtown Columbia with all the details. So you'll want to make sure you tune in for that. And it's really exciting to see Mississippi lead the way and really cool efforts to help folks where they're at, literally at home, meaning with telehealth, if you missed it, talking about the new grant that UMMC got to help those with drug addiction. You can always catch it back on YouTube, Supertalks YouTube later on today. Uh, but another, I get another I guess institution is trying to move us forward in the realm of counseling, but it's a little bit different. There's a great story over at supertalk.fm talking about the online rehabilitation counseling program that's now offered at Mississippi State. And this would be something if you've got a student looking or maybe you want to go back for that master's degree in counseling, but you weren't sure what you wanted to sort of uh, put put your finger on. This may be it. So Mississippi State University has announced a new online Master of Science in Counselor Education with a concentration in Rehabilitation Counseling. It is an accredited 60-hour online program, and it's providing students a new option to work towards a master's degree, which among the requirements obtain a licensed professional counselor credential. And if you don't know how many hours them folks have to get to get that behind their name, it's a lot. It's like, a, I think, like 40 or I'm not even going to lie. I'm just going to say it's a lot of on-hand hours. The cool part is, though, the demand for rehabilitation counselors has grown due to the increased need for service among growing elderly populations, wounded military veterans, people with emerging disabilities, or certain autoimmune diseases. So those would be the people that you would get the opportunity to help. And I think it's cool that we need more workers to help them get get back out and work and, you know, um, be, be the best they can be. So if you want to check that out, that's interesting to you as it is to me. You can head over to supertalk.fm and read more about it there. Now, if you've been over to the Good Things Facebook group, I posed a question today around this time of year, really trying hard to give our Thanksgiving the the time it needs I think you should appreciate that. And one cool thing over the last couple of years that's kind of come out of this whole Thanksgiving realm is this thing called Friendsgiving. And I want to know whether you partake. And if you do, I want to know what kind of circles do you celebrate Friendsgiving with. And then I want you to take it a step further. And I want you to share with us, what do you make? Because Thanksgiving meal is one of those that most of us would agree we want once for sure, maybe twice if we've got a big family. But when you start tacking on that same standard 
Thanksgiving meal like over and over and over, you can get a little tired turkey dressing real quick. So that's usually why when we talk about Christmas after Thanksgiving, we will often talk about changing up the menu for that because they are like four weeks apart. So some folks just don't want to do the whole shebang all over again. So 601-879-4395. Or do you like the idea of Friendsgiving? Um, Rhino, do you like the idea that you can get together with a group of friends and it's like Thanksgiving, but it's Friendsgiving? You celebrate your friendship? I think it's what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would offer a counterpoint to the uh, getting burnt out on certain aspects of the Thanksgiving meal. Mm Mm-hmm. I would argue that if you know how to fry a turkey well enough, it, it's kind of okay. hard to get tired of it. That's fair. So, yes, I I can agree with that. And Jeff in Oxford said, I've never heard of Friendsgiving. Oh, I love that. You're learning something new. So it's the simple idea that you may have groups of people who aren't your blood relation that you want to gather with, have a designated meal, and it's called Friendsgiving because usually Thanksgiving and Christmas typically are you are – joyfully gathering with your family or forcefully gathering with your family. Let's be honest, okay? And it's kind of designated to those two times a year where you you have people fly in, families flock together, and you don't you don't usually have friends uh, connected with it. So Life groups or Bible studies will do this. Uh, friend groups that may um, intertwine throughout the year together. May a just, lot of Friendsgivings happen on yeah. the weekends bookending Thanksgiving week. So, so you'll like have a Friendsgiving week, yeah. this weekend or you'll have Thanksgiving with your family and friends. And then the next weekend you'll have Friendsgiving with your friend group or your Sunday school right. group or your club or whatever. And they're growing in popularity, and they're becoming annual traditions within friend, friend groups um, and our community, should I say that. And I think it's kind of a cool idea. I also like the idea that maybe, you know, you do step outside of the, the, the traditional turkey dressing sort of route, or do you keep it? Do you keep it the same? We're doing one this weekend with a church group of ours, and we're going completely opposite with like barbecue. But that's because none of us have the ability to deep fry a turkey. So I feel like we should invite you to it, right? You come deep fry us a, a deep fry us a turkey. But this is like the one time of year for you to pull out your big mama jamma. Like this is your oh yeah preparation for this is your. Which you offer the big electric deep fryer, the the Butterball XL monstrosity that you're not supposed to use indoors. It's that big and and quote unquote dangerous. Didn't dad get you that? Oh, yeah. I said that like he's mine. (laughs) Your dad get you that. That is a fun way for for your parents to um, gently bestow the responsibilities of something usually geared towards the holidays over to you like here son here is my here's a electric knife meaning you will be carving the turkey from here on out it was a little bit more than that because it, that was a torch that was passed years ago when once we figured out because this is back before we got the electric turkey fires when we were still using the propane burner and the big <laughs> the big uh, cra- uh crawfish bucket kind of pan but once dad figured out how to fry turkeys, he pretty much immediately passed that duty on to me, taught me how to do it, and then (coughs) I was in charge of the turkey frying from there on out. So, yeah, after I moved away and 
he tried to find a, a quicker, easier way to do it because I wasn't around to do it for him anymore. That's when he discovered the electric turkey fryers and fell in love with those. And then he was just sharing the wealth with the one person he'd already taught how to do it. When do you start looking for the turkey or does your dad buy the turkey? Usually the turkeys are provided. I just provide the skills. And what skills go into making a perfect deep fried turkey? Uh, to give it away on the air is is almost a sacrilege, but I'll do it. You, you want to? You, you don't have, put it in frozen, right? Right. You you definitely don't put the frozen turkey in the hot oil. That's a recipe for disaster. But what you want to do is prep is key for the turkey. If you're a brining person, brine the turkey. Brine it for 24 hours before you're going to fry it. If you're not a brining person, use the Cajun injectors. And you can get the Cajun butter. Or you can make your own. You just want to clarify the butter so it doesn't clog up your injector. But if you're injecting, you got to be sensitive to where you're injecting it. There's only so much meat on the turkey where you can inject it. And a lot of people will wind up with just this puddle of marinade injection sitting in the cavity of the turkey and it didn't oh, do any man, good in there. Doing good, yeah. You got to get it in the muscles and you got to, you kind of feel like a doctor. Or you, all right, an operation, pull the leg up and give it three squirts this all way, doing in two cc's. Oh, this yeah. Week. yeah. They're practicing on turkeys. And then, once you get the, because with the electric turkey fryers, you basically just crank it all the way up and wait until the light turns on. It's a lot easier than the propane. Say, that sounds really easy. Oh, yeah. The propane ones, you had to have the temperature going and make sure the temperature was at a certain area. And then you put the turkey in and watch it climb back up and stop. And then you got to watch it for when it starts Turkey's climbing dead, again. Though, right? Oh, no, the heat, not the turkey. Right. <laughs> Whereas with the electric one, you just crank it up, wait for the light to turn off, and it's good to go. Lower the turkey down in there very slowly. Take your time. It's not a race. And you want to cook it for three and three-quarters minutes per pound. That's the tip. They, they say anywhere three from three to four minutes. minutes. I've found three and three-quarters minutes. Perfect. Does it? Does it per pound, and then you can have a perfect turkey. I'm just, my mind, when I stop to think of the turkey trying to climb back out, like lobster, maybe you're real fancy. I knew that the turkey was no longer with us when it went in. It's just the visual that you gave me. How many of you have satsumas, though, on your Thanksgiving table or around Thanksgiving time? Or maybe you don't live close enough to have any fresh ones. Well, we've got a U-Pick that you can go to in Gulf Fork coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. You 
can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from that Supertalk Mississippi app you need to download. You can always find us, too, on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. But one of the only places you can pick Satsumas, Satsumas, I'm going to say it right, right here in Mississippi is in Gulfport. And joining us to tell us a little bit more about their farm is Glenn and Valerie Merritt. Hey, Glenn and Valerie. Hello. How you doing? I am doing well. I'm so excited to have you guys on. I think this is a lot of fun. I I hear that this started out kind of as a, you know, a family hobby and it grew quickly into a thriving business. So, when did your family get started growing satsumas? About 1999 really is when we all we got everything started there. We built a house and then planted our first 100 trees and that once they took off, then we knew we would be okay to plant some more. So we just kept planting 100 every other year. Now, usually you don't think of, of citrus plants as something that would grow in Mississippi. So what is it about Gulfport or the climate or whatever else in the environment that makes it suitable for happy satsumas? Yeah, we're the first people in the world to benefit from global warming. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's that's what it is here. We're we're eight miles away from the Gulf of Mexico, so it it, it makes it a little bit more mellow weather down here. Uh, just a couple of miles up the road there, they get a harder freeze than we do. Yeah, that would be us right here in central Mississippi and on up to our friends right. listening to good things in the Mississippi Delta. They're laughing at the idea of trying to grow a citrus uh, plant, you know, in their backyard. And as I look through your Facebook page, I recognize that it doesn't look like a tree, like a satsuma tree, like I would think it would look. How do you describe the plant to someone who's maybe never come to see them in person? Well, the older they get, the more they look like a weeping willow tree there. They just, the long branches branch out there and lay, lay down, particularly when they get a lot of fruit on it. And it uh, stays that way for just about its entire life. It looks like a weep, weeping willow tree, really. When they're loaded with fruit, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's a little mm-hmm. bit easier to pick. So when did you guys decide to take Merit's Satsumas and turn it into a U-Pick, allowing the community to come in and maybe gather up their own Satsumas for their for their home? Well, we, we do quite a bit more than just U-Pick there. we got a stand on our, on our carport there we, we set up, and we sell it by boxes and bags, and uh, we sell it to some of the local grocery stores and everything else. So it's not just U-Pick. We also provide uh, fruit for the school, local schools, just right around this area. So, y'all are uh, busy. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, Mr. Glenn, um, what's the Satsuma season? Uh, usually at the end of September, first of October. October tenth is when we really get to swinging good. To uh, January first. And sometimes it's even later than that. It all depends on what kind of summer and grow-out period we have. So you now have 400 trees there at Merritt Satsumas in Gulfport. How many Satsumas do you say that either you pick or somebody else is able to pick um, there on your farm every year? Uh, Normally, uh, last year and the year before, I think it was about 40 tons. Wow. That's a lot of vitamin (laughs) That's a lot of vitamin C. Yes, well, you know, a single satsuma tree will put out about three or four hundred pounds of fruit. So, if, if, and a lot of a lot of neighborhoods there, they put in a, a satsuma tree. It supplies everybody in the neighborhood with fruit. And about after they've been in the ground for about eight years, they put on a lot of fruit. Yeah. 
Ah, as they mature, they kind of just keep giving back and keep giving back. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, if someone is listening to good things and says, you know what, I have heard about Satsumas. Maybe I think I've tried one or two, but especially as we get more north of Mississippi. How do you describe them to people who come in scratching their head? It's like a tan- tangerine, uh, but but they're seedless. Uh, the Satsuma variety is completely seedless. But you might find a a fruit now and then have one or two seeds in them every once in a while. But it's closely related to a tangerine. Easy to peel. Yeah. So how do you how do you get other plants if they don't have seeds, Mister Glenn? Uh, They're they're all hybridized. They're all grafted, bud grafted from a a, to a seed. Uh, They. they, It's a long story. There. Uh, Hard to explain. Yeah, uh, they're grafted. Okay. Yeah. That's the only thing I can say is all all Satsuma trees and citrus trees in general are grafted to a trifolietta orange trees. No, I think it's very party. interesting. Yeah, I mean, you just think yeah. like you would just go and put the seeds in the ground and then you get a plant, right? That's how you tell, they tell you that farming works, but it doesn't work yeah, that way every you time. You won't get the same variety, though, that when you try to grow one that way. Well, okay, that's not the only thing you guys grow there. What else you got going on at your farm? Well, we do all all the citrus varieties, really. In fact, I got too many different varieties in the field. There, we got navel oranges, uh, Louisiana sweet oranges, grapefruit, uh, kumquats, lemons. and lemons, and uh, a new variety called the sumos. Oh, I love a kumquat. I feel like anybody who's never tried one, if you see the one at your local grocery, you should just pick them up and give them a try. I think it's a fun well, one. There's, there's, two ver- there's two varieties of those, though. One looks like a football, and the other looks like a uh, marble, a marble, uh, round ones. The round ones are sweet, and the, the ones that look like a football are sour. I think I've had the I've had the football. They're not as large as a football, but they're longer, kind of like a grape kind right. of. Right, right. yeah. Looking like a so grape. Come and get the round ones there. They're really yeah. sweet. Real sweet. So if people want to come and visit your farm and just get what you've got provided, maybe they don't want to pick. Maybe they maybe they're happy to hear that you have you have them already ready to go. Where exactly are you guys located? Uh, we're on Duckworth Road in Gulfport. There, it's just about a half a mile from the the city limits, and uh, we're about three miles away from the well, a mile and a half away from the major highway forty nine. Are you open? What yeah, are your hours of op- of operation? Oh, we're open from uh, 9 to usually around 5.30. People can call if they're going to run late. We're we're always here because we live on the farm. We live here. And so, uh, you know, if people want to come, but usually the vendors come early in the mornings so that they don't interrupt our uh, work time. Except for Sundays. Uh, Except for Sundays. Sundays we're, we don't open until uh, 12 o'clock. Yeah, we go to church, and then after church we open. Well, we can appreciate that for sure. Everyone deserves a day of rest. Okay, Miss Valerie, right. you uh, sounds like maybe you have learned to make things out of satsumas other than oh, just yes, enjoying ma'am. them. So, if we, yes, ma'am. what else do you make out of them? Well, I make a, I make satsuma jelly and a satsuma pepper jelly, which is my best seller because it's so different and unique. It's great to bake with and. Just eat with cream cheese. Um, I love to pour it on my ham when I bake a ham. And um, then I also make um, orange uh, satsuma marmalade. I don't make anything with the oranges or the grapefruits because I'm, we're real, really concentrated on 
the satsumas and what what time we put into growing them. Do you make so all of it's that? It's quite fun. I enjoy I enjoy making the jam jelly and it's it's fun. You had me at the pepper jelly, and now I'm thinking, man, we're coming right around to Thanksgiving. Have a new glaze yes. on your ham, or even. You know, maybe you gift that for Christmas, and then you can put it on your Easter right. ham, something a little bit different. Yeah. Is it only um, purchased there on site, or do y'all have a website for your jams and jellies? No, it's all it's all uh, here. We cool. don't we don't ship that because it's just we don't we're so busy at this time of year. We just do not have time to to do that too. Well, that gives but it's us... a great visit if y'all would like to come and take a tour. I'd love to show it to you. I was going to say, that gives us a reason to come down there and uh, visit the Mississippi Gulf Coast and add you guys to All our right. list of places to stop. What is it about satsumas or about citrus f- fruits, Mr. Galland, that just said, you know what, this is going to be the, you know, the produce for me or sort of the crop for me? Oh, uh, it was a couple of years ago that... Uh, when we started this this whole thing there, that uh, it's a beautiful tree. I mean, the satsumas in general, they are absolutely gorgeous here. Until Hurricane Hugo came in and brought a little bug from Africa in here. It's called a leaf miner, and it makes the, it curls up the leaves and everything. But the the entire tree is still a beautiful tree. The only problem is that it's not uh, cold hardy. The cold will kill the tree if it gets too cold for too long a time. And to me, about the trees, the trees are evergreen. They're, they stay green year-long. So you know how everything turns brown north of here and you kind of get kind of depressed? It's always bright and green here. And in the spring, they smell so wonderful. Oh, my gosh. They just knock yes. your nasal passage yes, out. Yes, it's, it's wonderful. Beautiful. It's a great tour to come during the bloom season, too, because it's it just smells. All my neighbors just love it because we the whole place smells like a beautiful aroma of Satsuma blooms. It's just, you can't even explain it. Well, I They're love beautiful. it. The pictures look absolutely beautiful. We had someone on our text line say they just visited your orchard a few weeks ago, that it's a wonderful place and wonderful people. Nice. So we appreciate sure. your time here on Good Things, Mr. Glenn and Miss Valerie. And best of luck to you, and hopefully we'll see you there at the orchard. Yes, Sounds y'all good. come on. Yep. All Thank right. you for calling. Thank absolutely. You for putting us on. All righty, there you go. Who knew it? Mississippi can grow fruit trees. The next thing you're going to hear is there's someone growing coffee. No, that's a lie. We don't have that much global warming in our in our neck of the woods just yet. But stick with us. we got more for you coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. to good things don't forget aarp during national family caregivers month be sure to visit aarp.org slash ms or the aarp mississippi facebook page to find info and resources 
to help you on your caregiving journey. And if you missed our conversation with Merritt's Orchard, you can find them on Facebook. They are the Satsuma um, Orchard. It's Merritt's M-E-R-T Satsumas. And you can find it and all the information that you uh, need there to go and visit. And if you do, tell them good things sent you. There's some really good uh, people. Today is actually National Bunt Cake Day. I have to say that slow. I won't be saying that few times fast. You can do it, but do it in the privacy of your own <laughs> car or office there. And I feel like this is a device. I mean, it's not really a device, but a bunt cake pan is something that's in just about every southern home or it gets passed down or when you get married there's the aunt or the mother-in-law to be or somebody who feels like you can't officially be a southern married woman without your own bunt cake pan and then (laughs) you only bring it out like a couple times a year we're moving into the holiday season that's traditionally when it's going to be or maybe even you know around easter and they are some of the least attractive cakes, but it's because it's so difficult to frost anything that's like ring shaped, right? Like I'm not saying they're ugly, but compared to, you know, they're infinitely more appetizing looking than the uh, round jello mold recipe from the 50s and 60s. This is very true. Well, but you've got the lime green jello with hot dogs suspended in it. It's like, what were y'all doing? Ooh. Ooh. Have you never seen those? Yes, Just going down the rabbit hole of weird Jello recipes from days gone by. Yes, and then also everybody has the fruit, the weird fruit cake that tastes better than it looks, or that's up for debate, right? I thought this was neat though that it almost didn't make it until in 1963. That's talking about the bunt pan. The new Good Housekeeping Cookbook was mentioned, so sales increased, and then in 1966. There was a woman named Ella something. She took second place in the annual Pillsbury Bake Off. She won $5,000. She used that bunt pan. And the publicity just from that, 200000 were sold within six months. Wow. So it's like, but that's back when you had like three magazines to choose from and every housewife in America was reading. And $5,000 would have bought you a Cadillac. And $5,000 would have bought you a Cadillac, correct. And so, needless to say, we can thank Miss Ella for making the butt cake pan, I guess, what it is today. I remember very few bunt cakes being made in Mom's bunt cake pan, but she did make monkey bread in it a whole bunch. You can also make... And I'm going to get a few, but you can do a pound cake. You can do some other things in that pan. It does have a very, you know, signature kind of uh, look or whatever to it. And it's one of those cakes where there's one person in your family that can do it right. And I mean, there's probably several who can do it okay, but there's like one person who can get it dense enough and moist enough and to where it's like you look forward to it. Um, at holidays and or it's the one that gets it's on the on the array of dessert tables is usually the bunt cake that kind of gets left or skipped over or sort of doesn't normally just go to i like the ones the powdered sugar makes it prettier yeah or if you have the glaze and i was kind of thinking back to miss valerie talking about her satsuma like an orange marmalade, but it's a satsuma marmalade. I mean, you could step step it up just just a just a notch to that. And then you have the uh, 
the expert level bunt cake where it's not just the ridges going in one direction where it has the crisscross ridges Mm -hmm. to where if you don't butter that thing or spray it down with oil or cook just the perfect cake recipe in it it's going to be a nightmare to get that thing out true it is one of those that there is a many of so one or two things happen you hold your breath and you turn it over and you're like (gasps) or you hold your breath and you turn it over and then you play the the drums on it. Uh huh. And then if it doesn't loosen up, then it's, you grab the spoon. You lose all of your southern etiquette and go straight into a cussing match right there in the middle of your kitchen. And pardon me, you just toss it away. I wonder how many bunt cakes have made it into the trash that never made it onto a table because they didn't look the way the person preparing it thought that thought that it was should look. I had a granny, Granny Smith. She'd have, she'd have tossed anything. Could taste delicious. But if it wasn't up to Sunday standards, it's going in the trash. It's got to go. It's got to go. And we got to go. But you got more coming up next. You got Sports Talk Mississippi from 3 to 6. Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at 2. But until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. Mississippi Media Production.